Well, good morning. Let's stand and worship this morning.
Amen. Isn't that true? Our God is doing great things. Uh, you know, sometimes it doesn't seem like we can see it. You just know he is. He's doing so many good things. And uh, if we just look to him, we'll see that. So welcome this morning to Southwoods Christian Church. I think this is one of the great things. We get to be together and just praise him. Uh, so welcome, whether you're here in the blue chairs or on the live stream. We're so glad you're here this morning. I uh, just want to direct your attention to the screens because, you know, God's doing great things um, with the different ways we trust him. And part of that is financially. So these are the different ways you can give here at Southwoods. Um, but let's just continue to worship him um, in song this morning. Also, that's cool. <laughs>
always faithful, isn't he? It's so true. So good. Well, let's take this moment and just turn and say hi to someone this morning.
have a seat. Uh, so we have one more song we're going to go into this morning, and it really has the same message, I feel like, as that last one, which is so true. And that's just to turn your eyes to him, and I just pray that you would uh, seek seek God this morning in the message and in this worship. So sing along with us if you want. Um, but yeah, we're going we're gonna to seek to know him more this morning.
singing that song, I just kept thinking about uh, another passage of scripture that I'm actually not going to speak from this morning, but I want to share the passage with you because it's rich and it'll be, uh, be a blessing for me. And it just sort of reminds you, sometimes we sing songs and we wonder, where does that come from? You know, you just kind of wonder, it's like so much of what we do flows right out of scripture and I just want you to see it. So go ahead and keep playing that if you would, Natalie, just for a moment. I'd appreciate that. Because I just, I love that. I love the the spirit behind that song. Listen to what what the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians, or uh, Colossians. Got a few more books to mention before I get to the right one. Philippians 3. Says this, everything is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as rubbish so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. And then this is, this is sort of the, the summation of it all. He says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. And he goes on and he says more that's rich, but um, the whole ballgame, friends, is coming to know God. It's coming to know God for who he really is and not who we just maybe grew up thinking he was or imagined him to be or want him to be. It's figuring out who is he. Scripture tell us, tells us who that is. and. Uh, we're wise and blessed if we just take it seriously. So let's bow our heads together and then we'll uh, dive into our morning's message. All right, Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness, your grace, your mercy, for you are good to the core of your being. There is no shadow of darkness in you. You are righteous and just, but we're so grateful. We praise you that you are merciful. You've made a way for all of us who fall far short of your glorious standards of expectation. We, We've fallen so far short, but we thank you for Jesus who's made a way. And we can know you by knowing him. And we long to know you more. So speak to us this morning as we look at your word. And uh, we're grateful to be your children. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody agreed with me and said, amen, amen. Thank you all. Well, I want you to imagine something that you've probably never experienced before, uh, many of you. Imagine that you're trying to print an important document from your printer and uh, from your computer, you know, onto your printer. And for some reason, your printer is not working right. And so you kind of leave your computer alone and you're messing with your printer and, and, and trying, you know, you're plugging things in, plugging them out, and it's not, nothing's happening. And then all of a sudden you realize what you hadn't realized before, that the real problem all along is that your computer is frozen up because your, your keyboard's not working, your mouse isn't working, the image on your computer is frozen, and, and you finally realize your printer's not printing because your computer's locked up, right? Has that ever happened to anybody before? Just me. I just, it's just I mean, that happens to everybody who has a computer, right? That kind of thing. What do you need to do to your computer when something like that happens? Besides, you know, hit it with a sledgehammer, what you need to do is reboot it, right? You reboot your computer. You turn it off, turn it back on. The most basic step for those of you who are unaware of this, 
public service announcement, the most basic step in computer hardware and software problem solving is this, restart the machine. And if that doesn't work, unplug it and plug it back in and then restart the machine. This, this is just the way it is. It, you want the machine to go way back to the point of its beginning and that is most likely to create a stable environment from which the computer functions from that point forward properly. In a similar way, what's true for computers in this particular instance is also true for the spiritual life. Your life seems a little unclear when it seems uncertain. In particular, if you feel like you're getting a little stuck in your faith, or you're, you're struggling with doubt, you're wrestling with what's going on and how to interpret it, and it's important, it's helpful for all of us to get back to the basics, you know, to kind of reboot our faith, if you will, to, to sort of restore the beginning point, to remember the beginning point of our faith journey, because revisiting the beginning expressions of your faith can bring clarity and reassurance. It brings grounding to your life. It's very important. So that's why we're in the series that we're in right now. It's important for us to just get back to some of the basics of the spiritual life, things that some of us have known about for a lot of years, but nonetheless, things that in our culture today, some have very little knowledge of. And so it's important for us to just reflect on these things. I hope you'll continue to reflect with us as we, we're going through the series. But today, we're going to remember together and reflect on two of the most foundational expressions of faith found in the Bible. There are a lot of expressions of faith there. But two of the most foundational expressions of faith that have been practiced by followers of God followers of Jesus for 2,000 years, for two millennia. We're going to focus specifically on these two because every one of us needs to submit to and engage in these two expressions of faith. At least that's what the Bible teaches us. So I hope for the next few moments you'll listen real close. I hope you'll reflect with me. Maybe write down a few of the passages. You can grab a pen. You can uh, borrow a piece of paper from somebody if you don't have one, but just just encourage you to, uh, to jot some of these things down because they're foundational. And I want you to see it's all from Scripture. This is, not, this is not from Greg. It's not from some hierarchical group in our world. This is, what, this is what Jesus and the Scriptures teach us, okay? The first foundational expression of faith that all of us need to submit to and engage in, if you read your Bible, is going to be baptism. You see that. Baptism is a practice that's been carried on by Christians for centuries where they're declaring their faith, their commitment to Jesus by submitting themselves to immersion in water, by, by baptism in water. Why would they do that? Why would we do that? Because after Jesus' resurrection from the dead, his final instructions to his followers, his disciples, before he ascended into heaven were these. Matthew 28, he says, I've been given all authority... In heaven on, on earth, and let's just pause right there, think about that. All authority in heaven, the heavens, and all authority on earth. The heavens would include the entire cosmos in the original language. So it's, it's like everything out there. So if it includes the heavens, all the heavens, and all the earth, what's left? Nothing. I mean, he's, he's like in charge of everything. He's been given all authority in heaven and on earth, and here's his instruction. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. In these verses and others like it where Jesus is speaking, Jesus envisioned every one of his disciples, past and present and future, being baptized believers in him. That was what was in his mind when he thought of someone was going to be one of his followers. In his mind, baptism was not just a meaningless ritual of religion, which is what it's become to some people. Baptism, in Jesus' mind, represented a spiritual pledge of allegiance, if you will. That was true in ancient times, and it's true in his mind in our time. When you're baptized, you're declaring with your body, soul, and spirit, but emphasis on your body. You're declaring with your body as you're lowered into the water and as you're raised up out of the water. You're declaring, I no longer belong to myself. I belong. I'm pledging allegiance to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm dying to self, and I'm going to live for God to the best of my ability with Jesus' help and the Spirit of God within me. The Bible further explains what takes place at baptism with these words in Galatians 3, 27, another verse worth writing down. It says this, all who've been united with Christ in baptism have, notice what it says, put on Christ like putting on, what's it say? New clothes, like putting on new clothes. How many of you like to shop for new clothes? How many of you like, like new clothes? A few of you do, I know. Some of you are timid to raise your hand because you don't want your spouse to see that you like new clothes as much as you do, but, but most of us like to wear clean new clothes. We'd rather wear that than dirty, filthy, smelly clothes, right? That's what we'd rather do. Well, Scripture's just kind of painting this picture for us that, that when you're baptized, when you're lowered into the water, raised up out of the water in baptism, it's, it's like you're putting on all new garments. You're taking the smelly, stinky, broken and tattered clothes that are, that's really you and me. We're taking that off and we're being clothed in the righteousness, the, the beauty, the radiance, the virtues that are Jesus. New clothes like his. Colossians 2 gives us another image, another picture of this whole thing. Colossians 2 verses 11 and 12 adds this. It says, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. So much could be said about these two verses and others like them that are in the New Testament. But for now, here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that baptism is a practice that is full of meaning, full of meaning. From God's perspective, baptism is a spiritual pledge of allegiance. It's a spiritual circumcision of your sinful nature. It's clothing yourself with the righteousness, the virtue of Christ. And, and at baptism, you're identifying yourself with the death and the burial and, of course, the resurrection of Jesus. You're entering into the promise that was his. That just as he was buried and raised, you will one day be buried 
but you will be raised in the likeness of him. It's a, it's a foundational expression of faith, full of meaning that all of us need to submit to and that all of us need to periodically reflect on. I would venture there are plenty of us who have been baptized who that happened back then and you haven't thought about it much since. Maybe try to remember the date or something like that, but beyond that, you just haven't thought much about it. But for the next few minutes, I want to ask you to reflect back with me for a moment on your baptism. Just think about it. How old were you when you were baptized? Don't say it out loud. Just think about this with me. Were you a child? You remember it. Were you an adult? Were you baptized in a church setting, you know, somewhat like this, or, or maybe more of a high church setting, but were you baptized in a church setting? Or, or like my mom, were you baptized in a creek or a pond or a river or someplace like that? Who was there? I mean, remember who it was. Was it, was it family? Was it friends? Both? Church people? And I want you to remember this. Remember how at your baptism, there was so much about it all that you did not understand at that moment. But you did understand what was clear to you was that God was perfect and you were not. And he graciously invited you to become one of his children, to be spiritually cleansed and And as maybe little as you understood at that moment, you were just making yourself available and saying, here I am. I'm going to follow you. God was promising you that one day you'd be physically resurrected just as he was. You'd, you'd live an everlasting life. And you, you'd sort of heard that, but now you understand a whole lot more of that. But back then, you, you still knew Friends, there are many times in life when it's important to pause and remember those kinds of things. It's very important. Sort of like a married couple who pauses to reflect on their wedding day on occasion, remembering their vows, remembering who was there, pulling out the picture book, thinking about where it took place, and remembering how they felt about each other in that moment. Now, it's my guess that some of us don't remember much about our baptism because maybe we were baptized as infants or maybe because we've never been baptized at all. And if that's you, what I need to ask you this morning is, will you, of your own free will, choose to be baptized, choose to express your faith by being baptized like Jesus was? By being baptized like every one of Jesus' disciples was, the apostles. To be baptized like countless Christians and believers have been over the centuries since. is an expression of your faith. I mean, every instance in Scripture is an expression of the person being baptized faith. I know some of us have maybe been baptized by our parents. You know, it was an expression of their faith and and we praise God for our parents and their faith and so forth. But every instance in Scripture is a, is a baptism of somebody who's declaring their faith, their surrender to God the Father, 
Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Maybe you need to declare your allegiance to the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and be buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. Maybe you need to do that soon. It's important. Because Jesus' expectation was that every one of his followers would humble themselves and be baptized. That's why he said, go, into all the, go to all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, and lo, I'll be with you always, even to the very end of the age. And here's the thing. You know, if you and I will humbly acknowledge our faith in Jesus in this way, Jesus promises this, and he promises it to you and to meet all of us who are his children. He says this in Matthew 10, verse 32. This is a beautiful verse. He just says, everyone who acknowledges me publicly on earth, here on earth, I will also, what? What's he say? Acknowledge before my Father in heaven. He's going to interrupt what's going on in the heavens and put in a good word to the Father on your behalf. And let me just say, every one of us needs that. No exception. So will you demonstrate your faith in Jesus by choosing to be baptized if you've never done that. It's an expression of faith that'll bring some clarity. It'll bring reassurance. It'll bring grounding to your life. It'll do that now, and it will do it as often as you pause to reflect on it because it's a spiritual milestone. That's what God intended it to be. It's a spiritual milestone where you're saying, I'm dying to self, and I'm changing direction. It's a, it's a practical representation of repentance that we talked about last week. I'm repenting of my old path and I'm choosing a new path. Maybe you need to demonstrate that today or in the near future. Jesus also gives us a second foundational expression of faith that all of us who are his followers need to regularly participate in, reflect on it, and so forth. And the second expression of faith is communion. It's the Lord's Supper. Some traditions call it the Eucharist. I mean, there's all kinds of terms to describe it. But the the Lord's Supper, communion, it originated with Jesus at a Passover meal that he celebrated with his disciples on the night he was betrayed by Judas. The Bible tells us about it in Matthew 26. In fact, all the Gospels paint some picture of this, but the Bible tells us specifically about Matthew 26, quotes it this way, verse 26 and following. It says, as they, which that's Jesus and his disciples, as Jesus and his disciples were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it, and then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, the passage says, saying, take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine, gave thanks for it, and he gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It's poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Ever since that time, believers in Jesus have been regularly gathering in places like this or in homes or um, caves underground under some circumstances and gathering so that they could pause, they eat a little bread, drink a little juice or wine from a cup, 
And in doing so, what are they doing? They're remembering Jesus' death until the day that he comes. On their, they, they're remembering his death on their behalf. That's what they're doing. Now, here's an important question that you and I need to ask ourselves and just reflect on for a moment. Why would Jesus institute a practice so we'd remember his death? Why would he do that? I mean, why didn't he institute a practice that would help us remember in a regular fashion his resurrection? Why wouldn't he do that? I mean, we kind of celebrate his resurrection on an annual basis, but why, why didn't he make it more about the resurrection instead of his death? Wouldn't that have been happier? Wouldn't that have been a more positive spin on it all? Wouldn't that have been better, we think to ourselves? Here's why God did what he did. God wants us to remember Jesus' death so we'll never forget the consequences of our sin. And so we would never forget the extent of his love for us. You and I have a tendency to forget that sin is a big deal. That my sin was what nailed him to a cross. We, it's easy to forget in our culture, is it not? We, we don't want to think about sin. It's sort of a dirty word in our culture. Nothing is sin anymore. In fact, we're redefining everything to make things that before were sin, now not sin. Why? So we feel better. This is what we're doing. Now justified, I can justify my behavior because that's no longer sin. And at least that's what I'm going to believe. It's how we, how we function in our culture at this point. But God wants us to understand that the consequences of sin is death. It was true in Genesis 3 in the garden with Adam and Eve. It's true in 2021 in our community. But what's equally true is that God cared more about you and me who were trapped in our sins than he did about his own life. So the Lord's Supper communion is all about the consequences of our sin and how that is overshadowed by the mercy, the grace, the love of our Heavenly Father who would leave a throne in the heavens willingly and take upon himself human flesh and become sin and its punishment for us on the cross as the scriptures teach us. We must never forget Sin has consequences. But God loves us even more. So every communion time, we pause, we remember and honor the one who died, Jesus, for his love, for his willingness to pay the penalty for our sins. Believers have been doing that for centuries. You know, several years ago, there was a, a traveling Vietnam War memorial a wall making its way around the country. Some of you have been to the wall in, in Washington. You've seen uh, some of these traveling walls before. But like the original wall, it bore the names of all the soldiers who died in Vietnam. And several years ago, one newscaster attempting to capture the event and, and depict it through the lens of television was interviewed a surviving veteran of the war who had traveled some distance to visit the memorial at this particular occasion. And he asked this guy, he said, why did you come? The soldier looked straight into the, to the face, to the eyes of the reporter, and with tears flowing down his face, he said, because of this man right here, and he pointed to one of the names that was etched in the wall. 
And through his tears, he traced the letter of his friend's name, and he said to the reporter, this man right here gave his life for me. This man right here gave his life for me. Friends, that's the spirit of what's supposed to happen in communion. Someone far greater, someone far better than you or me gave his life for you and me because our sin warranted it and because he looked at us and concluded, I want you to be in relationship with me and the Father. And you know, when you think of it that way, it's just right to pause on a regular basis and remember his sacrifice that he did it for me, for you. So right now we're going to pause together. We're going to share in the Lord's Supper in the next few moments. And I want to do it with all that we've just talked about fresh in our minds because I think that'll help you just to have a particularly meaningful moment this morning as we share in the Lord's Supper. Today we're going to take the Lord's Supper together, though. And so uh, what I want to do is as I get my bread and juice, which I left down there, I'm sorry, uh, I want to get that, but I want to encourage you to pick, get your bread and your juice, particularly if you're watching online you haven't already done that. I want to encourage you to just go to the refrigerator, find you know, some grape juice, which reflects the blood of Jesus, kind of looks like that. That's why it's been used for centuries, that or wine. Uh, get a piece of bread. It's interesting that, that it was unleavened bread in ancient times. Why unleavened bread? Because yeast has always reflected, been a symbol of sin. Just look at scripture. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, Jesus repeatedly told his disciples. What was he talking about? He said, watch out for their sin that they've been trapped in. He said, I don't want you to be trapped in that because, because that's not who you've been made to be. And, and his hope was that those Pharisees would turn their hearts toward him and leave behind the yeast that was part of their lives. So it was unleavened bread for that reason. Because Jesus was perfect. He was without sin. He was virtuous and righteous to the core of his being. And he came to be the righteous substitute for unrighteous people like you and me. And so in just a few moments, what we're going to do is we're going to take these emblems together. So I just invite you to go ahead and peel open your little cup if you've got it here with you. Here in the room, those of us in the room, and kind of get it ready, those of you online. I want you to kind of look at that little wafer, and it's in some ways more styrofoamish than than food if you look at it, but here's what it represents: the sinless life of the Son of God. It represents the body of God the Father who left a throne in the heavens to take upon himself flesh so that he could make himself known to us. So that we could, could grasp his nature, his character, the depth of his virtue. And it was sacrificed. It was nailed to a cross for us, for you. So I just want to invite you to eat the bread 
and remember the body of our Lord. Let's do it together. I want to invite you to open up your little juice cup. It too represents something. It represents the shed blood of Jesus. Scripture says that the life is in the blood. That's one of the ironies. We've come to understand that in our days. Somebody who's in poor health, what do they often get? A transfusion. They get get blood. Why? If they don't get that blood, they're not going to make it, right? We know that. And the life spiritually is in the blood. Jesus' life was poured out. But the image is that we're pouring the blood of Christ in. That we might receive the righteousness that was His. We might receive the forgiveness that He deserved from the Father we might be cleansed as he is cleansed. I can't help but think I just spilled a little bit on my hands. It's in many ways a metaphor. We've all got blood on our hands. All of us. None of us is innocent and pure. But in his mercy, he still invites us to come. In fact, that's why We need to come, every one of us. So drink the juice and remember the shed blood of our Lord and just express to him from your heart your gratitude. Lord, we're so grateful for your mercy, your grace. So thankful that you chose death that you might impart to us life that you chose suffering and ridicule you might make available to us rescue and eternal life we do not deserve this Lord Jesus we certainly don't deserve one so great as you suffering in our in our stead Right now, we just want to say thank you. We honor you. We celebrate your mercy, your grace, your provision for us. And we humble ourselves before you. And on this day, we just, before it happens in all of the heavens and the earth, we want to declare you, Lord Jesus, our Lord. You're Lord in the heavens and on the earth and under the earth, and we want you to be Lord of our lives. We thank you you've made a way, you've made it possible for us to be in a right relationship with you and the Father and the Holy Spirit. We're grateful. Now, Lord, may we reflect on these things. Help us to just kind of be stuck for a few days in the immense mercy that is yours for us. To help us to reflect on these things and not quickly pass the moment by. 
that you might be honored as is appropriate and that healing and growth might happen in us. Thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You know, every one of us needs to submit. The Bible teaches us. Every one of us needs to submit on a regular basis to sharing in the Lord's Supper, to, to sharing in the communion time. It's a foundational expression of faith that you need and I need on a regular basis to keep clarity, to calibrate our souls about what's really matter, what really matters in our world. But that other expression of faith is baptism. We've talked about it already. It too will bring clarity and reassurance and grounding to your life. It'll be, be available to you now. It'll be available to you, you know, as long as you live and into eternity as you reflect back on the moment when you made your decision to follow Jesus in that way. I just want to encourage you, don't let a week go by without reflecting on these things. Reflect on the Lord's Supper the consequences of your sin and God's great love for you. And reflect on the day that you demonstrated your faith in a practical, tangible way when you were baptized. And if you've never been baptized, you never expressed your faith in that way, your allegiance to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let us help you follow through on that. I understand sometimes we get a little nervous about that. Sometimes worried about our hair getting messed up or what people will think or any of this kind of stuff. I mean, it just happens. It's the culture in which we live. But I just want you to know we can help you follow through in being obedient to what the Scripture teaches if you want to be baptized. I mean, we, you can be baptized here in our building. That's a baptistry if you didn't know that or there the top comes off help you be baptized here if that's what you want. We can help you be baptized in a lake if that's what you want. For heaven's sake, if you want to be baptized in the Jordan River, we can help you. Okay? Next April, Lori and I heading to Israel. Come along. I'll baptize you in the Jordan River if that's what you want. Um, you can be baptized somewhere else. Where you're baptized is not the big deal. And let me just shatter some of our paradigms. Who baptizes you is not the big deal. You have Mother Teresa baptize you, would that be wonderful? Sure, if she was still alive and could do it, yes, be wonderful. You could have the pastor baptize you want, but let me just tell you, it doesn't have to be a spiritual giant because what matters about baptism is not who's doing it or where it's done. What matters is the faith in your heart. It's the declaration of your allegiance, your surrender, that matters. That's what matters. We just want to help you obey. Maybe if you're here, you can let us know afterwards. We'd be happy to help you with that. If you're listening online, let us know at pastors at southwoods.org. We can help you with that. Even if you're in some far-flung remote location, we know, we know people everywhere. So we can help you. We can help you take care of that. We want to help you do that. Let's stand together. We're going to close in prayer. Just invite you to uh, be open this morning. All right, let's pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Glad you made it this morning. Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you that you love us. We just want to declare with our mouths our allegiance to you. We confess you, Lord Jesus. You are the Son of the living God. 
You're our Savior. You're my Lord. We honor you today. We'll honor you all the days of our lives. We want to live forever with you in the heavens. We thank you that you made that, made that possible for us. Now, God, help us to obey you in all things, just as you instructed Matthew 28. Whether it's baptism, whether it's communion, whether it's some other expression of faith that your spirit is talking to us about right now, some step of obedience we need to take, reconcile some relationship, make right some wrong, restitution, or something. whatever it is, God, I just ask that you would help us to obey because that's what you long for. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth in me, Lord, as it is in heaven. That's what you long for. Now, Lord, as we go from this place, may these things echo in our minds, not because of anything other than the fact that it's consistent with your will and what you've said in Scripture. Help us to walk in your steps, and we'll give you credit for every good thing that happens. Go with us now. Thank you for your grace. May your blessing rest on every person within the sound of my voice. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Bless you all.